believe you'd say that. I've been with the doctor longer than you. I've seen what's out there. Oh, you're not being sensible, Jamie. It's quite impossible for all the alien races in the universe to be intent on invasion. Logically, it just Oh, does... aye. So where was your logic last time you landed, eh? I can't remember it seeing you then. Oh, that incident was quite within the parameters of normal statistical distribution. It's easily explained purely through chance. Chance? Nothing to do with me, then. Those wee creatures in that cellar would have torn you to pieces if I'd not been there. Jamie and I rarely argued. I teased him a lot, it's true, but we never really had a row. This time it was different. This time his point of view was so extreme, so out of touch with my 21st century cultural norms, that I just couldn't let it go. But Jamie... There are so many civilizations where the inhabitants are peaceful, despite their differences. Ah, oh, well, I've not seen them. And since we met, neither of you. They've all been chasing us up and down corridors and shooting at us with guns. Tell a doctor. The doctor clearly disapproved of our argument. He frowned as he wiped his hands on a grey paisley handkerchief, then tucked it into one of the pockets of his crumpled black coat. Now then, Jamie, sorry... All this noise won't solve anything. But, Doctor! Jamie, the universe has spawned many terrible, frightful things. And yes, we have found them, and they have fought us. Creatures that are cruel and ruthless, determined to impose their will on the weak and the innocent. But Zoe is right. Not every other race wants to harm us. There is good out there. Jamie was baffled. He just couldn't comprehend such an alien point of view. I knew it didn't fit with his experience since meeting the Doctor, or with his life before that. He'd always relied on his strength, had fought to survive. It was as natural to him as breathing the air, or feasting on a slaughtered animal. Something else I resolved to later take him to task about. Oh, you're just as bad siding with her. After all the times I've saved your neck, what is it with you two? Have I been dreaming these last few weeks? Now, now, Jamie, it's not like that at all. Nobody's taking sides. It's just that we don't quite see things the way you do. Now we're coming to land. So let's all be friends and forget our disagreements, shall we? That's easy enough for you to say. Two against one. You just wait till we're outside. I'll wager you both that there'll be some alien beastie ready to do us harm. We'll just see how good they are then. I, I just don't expect me to come to your rescue. Jamie, come back! We don't know if it's safe out there. But it was too late. He was furious with both of us and felt betrayed by our modern views. His 18th century mindset was impervious to reason. The doctor smiled kindly and patted his pockets. Oh, I think we'd better go out after him before he gets himself into trouble, don't you?
We were in an empty corridor. There was a slight smell of dust and disinfectant. The walls were white, indented by large glass windows and doors. It was unnaturally quiet, as if this part of the building was no longer in use. The doctor locked the TARDIS door behind us, an excited glint in his eyes at the prospect of exploring. Now then, let's find out where we are, shall we? Well, judging from the design and, and materials, I would guess this is somewhere near my time, late 21st century. The doctor led the way and wandered over to look through one of the windows. Jamie was strangely quiet. At first I thought he was brooding, nursing his grievances. But he was staring into the middle distance, a look of serenity on his face. Jamie, are you all right? Aye. Where do you think we are? Oh, he was his old self again. All his anger gone. Our disagreements seemingly forgotten. Of course, I was less passionate about these sorts of things. Emotional outbursts were no match for a well-constructed argument. I was pleased that Jamie was beginning to learn that too. Some kind of uh, hospital, I think, Jamie. Look. We joined him. Behind the glass was a small room. It was deserted, but there was a neatly made bed and on the wall above an extensive panel of monitoring equipment. Folded clothes lay on a chair and there was a printed name on the door. Morgan. Doesn't tell us much. I wonder why they're here. Dr Edvard was a small, fussy man with a meticulously trimmed beard and gold-rimmed spectacles. His thinning, lacklustre hair was oiled back and the pockets of his lab coat were cluttered with pens, several screwdrivers and a stethoscope. You can bring the patient over now. We're ready to begin. His attitude was curt. He issued the instruction to his assistant, Serox, a very attractive young woman with a passive expression and quietly cold manner. She guided the patient up onto a trolley and pressed his head back onto the pillow. Oh, keep still, Morgan. This won't take long. Then you can go back to the community room. He was a wiry young man with lank dark hair and pale skin dressed in a pristine white hospital gown. His bare arms were exposed, ready for treatment. Morgan was incoherent in his reply, as though he'd somehow lost the power of speech. His eyes were wild with fear. Edvard fitted restraints to Morgan's wrists and ankles. He pulled the straps tight with a look of grim satisfaction. This is Coordinator Ash. Are you ready to test the neurocatalog? Without thinking, Dr. Edvard glanced towards the speaker grill on the wall, even though the video feed was only one way. Ash could see them, but they couldn't see her. He shook his head with irritation and looked at Serox instead. The neurocatalon still needs to be administered. Serox, is the injection ready? She drew up the brightly glowing solution and searched for a vein. I said keep still, Morgan. This will hurt. As the needle pierced the vessel, a tiny cloud of blood darkened the syringe. Then she pressed the plunger home. Morgan's face twisted in pain as the drug coursed into his arm. Edward, you assured me that the drug had been refined. 
that there would be no discomfort. Inducing this level of distress is unacceptable. Dr. Edvard looked on coldly. Oh, be patient. The effect is only transient. As Morgan began to settle, Edvard looked on smugly. You see, no harm done. This will need to be reported. We are therapists, not torturers. Edvard ignored her and turned toward the machine that dominated the laboratory. He checked various dials and examined the pattern of lights flickering on one of the panels. The Pacifitron is working perfectly. Now we shall see whether the Neurocatalon can boost its effect. Imagine, finally we will be able to do without your absorption field. During the test, Morgan's vital signs were to be carefully tracked by Serox. Blood pressure 120 over 80, pulse 56. Electroencephalograph shows alpha waves. All measurements are standard. Edvard paused for a moment while he checked the Pacifitron a final time, then gave Ash the instruction to disengage the absorption field. Absorption field removed. We have isolated the local area around your laboratory. It is entirely free from our influence. Your machine and the neurocatalog are in control now. Serox watched the monitors intently. Blood pressure rising slightly, 130 over 85. Pulse increased to 80... Alpha waves with occasional beta. Vitals within normal range. Morgan lay still, his face calm and relaxed, eyes closed. Edvard started to examine him and pressed the end of his stethoscope to the man's chest. Blood pressure increasing, heart rate 120, alpha waves eclipsed by beta and gamma rising. The numbers continued to climb and Morgan began to stir. His eyes suddenly snapped open, revealing a look of panic. He started to pull at his restraints. Blood pressure now 180 over 110, pulse rate escalating to 150, beta eclipsed by gamma. Morgan's face was drenched in sweat. His teeth were clenched, and all the muscles in his neck had tightened as he struggled to escape. Suddenly... Morgan ripped himself free and clamped his hands around Edvard's throat. The scientist pulled away from the frenzied man, coughing fitfully and ordered Serox to boost the power. She grappled with the Pacifitron, but it didn't respond. Morgan was blundering around the laboratory, leaving a wake of destruction in his path. He kept clear of the Pacifitron. The machine was clearly toxic to him. Instead, he smashed up the monitoring equipment and upended the trolley. There was a whirlwind of papers strewn everywhere. I've lost visual contact. It will take us time to re-engage the absorption field. Morgan ripped the intercom from the wall and turned toward the door. He wrenched it open and disappeared into the corridor beyond. We must stop him before he reaches the community room. is a hospital, then this must be Morgan's room. But where is he? The doctor started speculating. Perhaps it wasn't a medical hospital. Maybe he was wrong and this was a prison. Or it could be an outpost for some sort of military establishment. As always, he was excited by the possibilities, each one offering new potential for discovery. 
He rubbed his hands with glee, hopping slightly up and down. For goodness sake, does it matter? Whatever this place is, there'll be something waiting to do us harm, and both of you don't seem to care. Suddenly, Jamie was angry again. It had come out of nowhere. One moment he was quiet, subdued, the next red-faced and furious. The doctor tried to placate him, but it was as though we were back in the TARDIS, in the heat of our row. Then Jamie was almost proof right. But the threat wasn't alien this time. It was human. A man appeared, dishevelled and frantic. He was plucking wildly at the air as though fending off an unseen foe. For a moment he didn't see us. Then he lurched towards me, his arms outstretched, eyes blazing with malice and murderous rage. Keep away! Jamie! Doctor! Jamie sprang instantly to my defence. He was already angry and now channelled his energy into the fight. But the stranger was fired up on adrenaline and fear and proved a worthy opponent. The doctor danced nervously on the periphery, desperate to distract the man and give Jamie the advantage. The stranger's frenzy intensified, as though the fight itself was driving him to more violent and vicious attacks. He caught Jamie in a headlock, then tightened his grasp. Jamie could hardly breathe. Framed in the doorway stood an extraordinary figure. It was over six feet tall, slight in build, and dressed entirely in a black, tightly stretched material that shimmered hypnotically as the creature moved. Instead of a head, it had a featureless, transparent, jelly-like dome, and inside, glowing and pulsating with light, throbbed an alien brain. For a second, we all stopped in our tracks. Then Jamie used the moment to slip free. I caught my breath in shock, cursing my naivety. He'd been right from the start. The threat was alien after all. Who are you? Why are you here? For a moment we were all distracted. Then I noticed that the stranger, Morgan, was no longer attempting to fight. Bizarrely, he was suddenly tranquil, a glazed expression on his face... He looked around vaguely, as if in a dream. Jamie seemed different too, drained of vitality, his energy spent. I repeat, who are you? My name is Zoe. Uh, These are my friends, Jamie and the Doctor. I decided to capture its attention. Meanwhile, Morgan wandered away, unaware of any danger. He just ignored the monstrous figure as it stepped through the doorway and approached us. Its movements were sinuous, lithe and graceful. Get behind me, Zoe. I'll try to hold it off. There was an edge of uncertainty in Jamie's voice, as though he didn't quite believe in himself anymore. Something was wrong. This wasn't the Jamie I knew, brave and robust, ready to dive into danger to protect us. Perhaps this was a foe he couldn't overcome. My heart started to race... Anxiety welling up inside me. I stepped backwards, unsure what to do next. Where are you from? Why are you here? Keep back. I'm warning you. But Jamie just stood there. He seemed powerless, almost afraid. The doctor edged around to join me, holding his hands up, palms forward, in a placatory way. It's all right. We're we're, we're quite friendly. 
I mean you no harm, just we're just travellers. Before the creatures could respond, two figures, a man and a woman, suddenly appeared from another corridor. Seeing us, they came to an abrupt halt. Who the hell are you? The man was rather squat and middle-aged, while the woman was stunningly beautiful. She had a slender figure, dark hair, and a face that was symmetrical to a fault. They looked rather incongruous together. I was about to explain when it struck me that they were both quite oblivious to any threat. Coordinator Elm, have you seen Morgan? The three of them were colleagues. He is nearby and tranquil, Dr. Edvard. We are holding the absorption field at maximum strength. This failure of the Pacifitron will have to be fully investigated. Fear had blinded me. I'd been so caught up in the moment that it never occurred to me that this strange-looking creature, Coordinator Elm, might be an ally, even a friend. So much for my progressive 21st century thinking. Dr. Edvard gave instructions to his assistant, whose name we discovered was Serox. She went off in pursuit of Morgan, nodding rather mechanically but saying nothing. It was a little odd the way she just did as he asked. If these people were from my era, then her very deferential manner to a male colleague seemed strangely old-fashioned. They claim to be travellers. I have not had an opportunity to authenticate their statement. Edward was sceptical. Seems a bit unlikely. Who are you working for? Quercus Robar? Or are you from the Earth Government? And how did you even get in here? The doctor looked at me, hoping that my knowledge of the time period would suggest some plausible explanation. My mind raced to come up with a story, but Elm stepped toward me, her arms outstretched. What was her intent? Was I in danger? I felt frozen to the spot, panic rising again. There was nowhere to escape. Fear is unnecessary. I will authenticate you. Your story is confirmed. You are Zoe Harriet, and your associates are James Robert McCrimmon and the Doctor. You travelled here in a time machine called the TARDIS. You are frightened of our appearance, but you have no criminal intent. How did you know that? The Doctor looked delighted and clapped his hands together with glee. Uh, did you see Jamie? She read Zoe's mind. How convenient. I, I do wish we met more people like you. Uh, it would save us a lot of bother. Now, perhaps you might tell us a little something about yourselves. Dr. Edvard remained rather cautious, but respected the alien's skill, so took us at our word. He explained that he was a specialist in neuroelectrocontainment and that Coordinator Elm was one of the two remaining members of staff here at the Aspen Treatment Centre. The integral as they were called, had unique abilities with the human mind. As well as telepathy and weak telekinesis, they were employed here specifically for their power to induce calm by directly absorbing anger. We must liaise with Coordinator Ash. Is he the one in charge? She is my co-worker. The Integral have no hierarchy. Dr. Edvard had pressing work to complete, so began to make his excuses. Before he left, I had one more question. If this is a treatment centre, 
Who do you treat? Edvard paused for a second and looked coldly into the middle distance. Lost souls. This is the community room where our clients can gather. As you see, they are peaceful when treated. What's wrong with them? Why don't they speak? An inappropriate question with clients present. We will answer your inquiries, but only in general terms. Our duty is to those we care for. The clients, as Coordinator Elm referred to them, looked dazed and confused. They moved around lethargically, dragging themselves along as though wading through water. I understood what Dr. Edvard meant when he described them as lost souls. Their faces were drawn and haggard. Occasionally there was a flicker of expression, but it was usually a fear. Nobody smiled. Nobody laughed. To all intents and purposes, they really were the walking dead. Ash stood as we entered. The office was spacious and minimally furnished. She was slightly taller than Coordinator Elm, but otherwise identical. Perhaps they were a clone race? Thankfully, their names were clearly printed, white against black on their suits. Ash gestured for us to sit, her movements graceful and elegant. Coordinator Elm took her leave, explaining that she had other work to do. The doctor stepped forward. Perhaps we should introduce ourselves. There is no need, doctor. Coordinator Elm and I commune through the absorption field. I understand you are travellers. The integral welcome inquiring minds. I expect you have many questions. Yes, we do, actually. I will answer if I can. Uncertainty is the precursor to anxiety. I have no wish for you to suffer unnecessarily. Oh, that's very kind of you. This absorption field, I assume it's some sort of telepathic gestalt? Correct. It is a lot weaker with only two of us remaining. We now have to rely on Dr. Edvard's precipitron to ensure that treatment is maintained. But treatment for what? Quaker syndrome. Aspen Base is the main care centre. Our clients are safe within the protective dome. And outside? The atmosphere is highly toxic. There is no life beyond. Only those who require our help come here. What is Quaker Syndrome? Prolonged, uncontrollable and murderous rage. The victims kill anyone they have contact with, except for each other. Complete strangers... Friends, family and loved ones, all are vulnerable. But for some reason, fellow victims are not. Oh, that's horrible. They don't eat, they don't sleep. Left untreated, they die through sheer exhaustion. The doctor wanted to know the cause. Was it a virus or some sort of toxin? 
Ash explained that it was the consequence of using an electronic entertainment created by the technology company Quercus Robar. When the Earth government discovered this, they forced the company to build and maintain Aspen Base. The doctor was intrigued. They'd been made ill by what you might call a computer game. Prolonged exposure remodels the neural pathways of the brain. It is no longer commercially available, of course, but pirated copies still exist. What's a computer game? Why do you always talk in riddles? Well, well Jamie, now, uh, <clears throat> how best to explain... Um, you, you see, you have a television, and on each side of the screen there's a, a little oblong box of light. When you turn a knob, it moves up and down. Bouncing between the two is a small white square. That's the ball, and you have to knock it back and forth like a, in a game of tennis. It's such great fun. I think computer games nowadays are a, a little more advanced than that, Doctor. Yeah, well, yes, that was the 1970s. I, I was wondering why anyone would get so worked up about a game of ping-pong. The content is extremely violent. The victims believe that they are constantly under attack from the avatars within the program. From their perspective, they fight or die. Until they come here. You help them? We create the absorption field that controls their anger. Turns them into zombies, more like. Have you not seen them out there? Wandering around like they're, they're searching for a coffin. Now, now, now then, Jamie, I'm sure the Integral are doing all they can, and after all, it's difficult to tell how much of that is a side effect of the treatment and how much is Quirkus syndrome itself. And I notice it's not affecting all of us like that. It all clicked into place. This was why Jamie's mood had changed so suddenly. It was the absorption field turning on and off. But the doctor was right. Why did it have more effect on Jamie than either of us? You said your control was weaker now. That man who attacked us, are we still in danger? Morgan is quiet now. The absorption field was withdrawn for only a short time, and only in a limited area. Enough to allow Edvard and Serox to conduct their experiment. We are back in control, though with only two of us, the field lacks the robustness of a full gestalt. We focus its power into the communal areas. You'll notice it has a limited effect in here. But why so few of you? Maintaining this facility is costly, Doctor. It takes many integral, far more than we have now. We are pleased to assist humankind, but we cannot offer our services for free. If what we do is of value, then it must be paid for. That's also the view of Freudians on 20th century Earth. Not one I approve of. Quercus Robar engaged Edvard to replace us with his machine, the Pacifitron. So far, he's succeeded in reducing our number, but has failed to remove us entirely. The machine isn't powerful enough. That much is very clear. Edvard was testing a new drug, Neurocatalon. He claims it will increase the Pacifitron's effect. But Quercus Robar are cautious, and for the moment require us to remain. They want proof of success before we leave. But only two of you. Is that really safe? They maintain our numbers at the barest minimum, but have not made up for our recent losses. Edvard is very persuasive and tends to manipulate the truth. Losses? Several colleagues have died. Killed intentionally, 
I believe. But how? That just isn't logical. The absorption field would stop any attack. We do not know. With each loss, the absorption field becomes weaker. We become more dependent on the Pacifitron to maintain safety. A shadow passed over the doctor's face as he realised the implications. He looked around anxiously, tapping his fingers together with nervous energy. But don't you see? If anything happens to you or Coordinator Elm, then the whole of the base will be under threat. It'll go up like a powder keg. Won't the Pacifitron protect us? As you've seen, the machine is not yet able to work independently. Both the Integral and the Pacifitron are needed. Then you must arrange for more staff, more Integral to replace those you've lost. It's the only sensible thing to do. Edvard would never agree. He has sway with all the major shareholders. The company is cutting costs. They won't miss this opportunity to make further savings. The doctor was undeterred and insisted that we would just have to convince Edvard otherwise. He pressed Ash to allow him to examine the Pacifitron. Coordinator Ash gave us directions to Edvard's laboratory, which we followed with ease. We found him working on the Pacifitron. It was a strange-looking device. A thick metal pipe was coiled and stretched along the full length of the machine, arcing in a huge circle some two feet in diameter. It was anchored to a solidly constructed base, covered in switches and dials. Lights flickered on and off, fluctuating in harmony with the oscillating waveform showing on a small cathode ray tube. The doctor started inspecting it immediately, much to Edvard's irritation. Jamie and I stayed out of their way. I told you this would happen. The Integral don't mean us any harm. If anything, they're the ones under threat. Well, I still don't trust them. This field thing of theirs, uh, it makes me feel... I don't know. Odd. Not myself, like, like a different person. Are you not affected too? By the absorption field? Well, a little, I think. Not much, not like you. But then I don't tend to get angry. It wouldn't be logical. It's like I, I can think very clearly, see everyone's point of view. Nobody's right, nobody's wrong. It's all shades of grey. I, I don't like it. That's how I always see things, Jamie. Is it so bad to see different perspectives? You don't understand, Zoe. I'm scared I won't know what to do. I, I can't fight like this. I, I can't protect you. Jamie's eyes were moist. His expression betrayed the inner turmoil which was threatening to overwhelm him. His world had suddenly been turned upside down and he was feeling things he'd never had the time or emotional space for. The doctor dropped the broken intercom onto the bench. It's useless. We can't get through to Ash to warn her. Warn her? Yes, warn her. I'm not sure there's anything I can do. The Pacifitron is experimental at best. It hasn't the capacity to effectively control all these people. She must bring more integral here. Edvard disagreed, and the two started arguing. I suggested I might have a look at the calculations. After all, I did have a pure mathematics major, with honours. 
Edvard looked thunderous, and the doctor shook his head. He smiled and nodded towards Jamie, who was looking rather dazed. I'm not sure that even your talent with numbers, Zoe, would convince Dr. Edvard here of his error. No, uh, Betty both let Ash know what I've found here, and I, I think Jamie would like something useful to do. We agreed to his plan. Meanwhile, the doctor would look at Edvard's equations again, but I could see he remained doubtful. How are you feeling? Like I've got a headache. Are you telling me you always think like this? With the, what, what did you call it, different perspectives? Seeing everyone's point of view? But of course, I thought we all did. How else can society function efficiently? Everyone would be arguing. The doctor's not affected either. It's just me and the patients. Why am I so different? He was right, of course. But I didn't know what to say. Jamie's new way of experiencing his world had given me the clue. But how could I explain that in my time, most people had evolved their way of thinking? Taking multiple perspectives was commonplace. In the 18th century, a soldier needed to know who was the enemy and then fight. Anger was key. Seeing your opponent's point of view would be lethal. Likewise, the patients. Quercus syndrome locked them into a nightmare battle between good and evil, a threat round every corner. In my time, and I suppose the doctors, we saw things differently and were just more advanced. True, we still felt anger, but it had been civilised out of us. It wasn't so raw. I don't think there's anything wrong with you, Jamie. It's, it's just that... That sounded like one of the integral. Quickly! Coordinator Elm was staggering down the corridor, a thick, dark liquid oozing down the dome of her head. A jagged tear had been ripped into the translucent, jelly-like substance. A knife stuck out at an angle, its handle buried to the hilt. Help me! Who did this? But she hadn't the strength to tell us. Jamie caught her as she stumbled. He gently lowered her to the floor, protecting her broken body in his arms. There was nothing we could do. She was dying. The dome of her head was clouding to opaqueness, the pulsating glow of light slowly failing. She shuddered and convulsed for a moment, then lay still. Oh, no! done such a terrible thing. Snuff out a life like this, and for what reason? I was trembling with shock. Nausea twisted in my stomach. Then suddenly I felt it. Anger. Jamie was affected too. We shouldn't be feeling this way. The fact that we did could only have one viable explanation. With Elm now dead, the absorption field was no longer working. The Pacifitron was not enough on its own. The victims of Quercus Syndrome were reverting to kind. They were going to attack. Yeah. 
With Elm now dead, the absorption field was no longer working. The Pacifitron was not enough on its own. The victims of Quercus Syndrome were reverting to kind. They were going to attack. Despite their differences, Edvard and the Doctor had been working together on the Pacifitron. With the calculations reviewed, they set about improving the machine's efficiency. The inmates could see them through the glass panel in the door. Dr. Edvard swallowed hard, and a look of panic darted across his face. Oh, it failed! The integral absorption field! It stopped working! Doctor, we need full power to the Pacifitron, now! Uh, my goodness, uh, bring me that power cable. Now, now plug the other end into the Pacific Automated Generator. Uh, quickly! There were inmates everywhere. The corridor was suddenly full of people screaming. Jamie! Look out! Behind you! Jamie's attacker was broad-shouldered and powerful. He brandished the shattered remains of a wooden chair leg thrusting it wildly like a spear. At first, Jamie was more agile and dodged around him. Then others started crowding closer and his movements were blocked. The man lunged towards him. Edvard started to panic. Doctor, it won't hold much longer! That cabinet, use it as a barricade. I need more time to reroute the power. Edvard could hardly move it. The cabinet was too heavy. Edvard looked on with horror as the door splintered. It's too late! The doctor was still lost in a whirl of plugs and cables as he frantically tried to connect up the machine. Then as suddenly as it had started, the disturbance died away. Doctor, you've done it! You've increased the power! The Pacifitron. It finally works! Like a miracle, calm descended upon the crowd. Jamie's attacker dropped his weapon and quietly shuffled away. It was as though nothing had happened. Are you all right? Am I all right? What about you? You're bleeding. Let me see that. That's nothing. We scratch. So typical of Jamie. Thinking of others first. I found some bandages in a locker and disinfected his wound. His arm wasn't deeply cut, but he looked as though he needed some looking after, and I took the opportunity to come to his rescue for a change. Why did they stop? I suspect the doctor reconfigured the Pacifitron. There's only coordinator Ash now. She can't maintain the absorption field on her own. Oh, the whole thing's a mystery. 
Who would kill Coordinator Elm? And why? We both looked sadly at her lifeless body. And more to the point, how? Both the Integral and the Pacifitron are supposed to stop violent acts. She saved my life. If she hadn't been there, Morgan would have done for me. He wasn't going to let go. I, I could hardly breathe. Have you not finished your nursing duties now? We must find the doctor and Ash. I'd never seen Jamie like this before. He seemed genuinely affected by the alien's death. Of course, he didn't show it for long. Informing the others soon took over his thoughts. We agreed that he should find Ash and give her the doctor's message. Whatever Edvard might have told them, she had to convince Quercus Robar to fund more Integral. I would return to the laboratory. I found the Doctor and Edvard at loggerheads about the calculations. They were ankle-deep in a grey sea of computer printouts. The Doctor was chalking on the walls, much to Edvard's dismay. I noticed the door was shattered, so they'd obviously had their own difficulties with the inmates too. I wanted to tell them about Coordinator Elm, but they didn't give me a chance. No, 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 it'll never work, Edvard. Don't you see? The power lattice is being drawn on exponentially. Edvard was having none of it and shook his head as he spoke. You're wrong. I calculated the requirements precisely. As the argument continued, my attention was drawn to the power lattice, which supplied all the energy for the Pacifitron. It was a large transparent cabinet containing a jagged crystalline substance. A faint light glowed within. As I watched, I could see the crystal slowly dissolving. I calculated the rate of decay and then scanned the doctor's equations. He was very nearly correct. Distracted from the recent tragedy by the science, I just had to join in the discussion. D uh, Dr. Edvard... You've made an elementary error. X is equal to D, not Y. In very simple terms, that means the Pacifitron requires an infinite energy source. <laughs> There's nothing in the universe that can provide you with that. However, I could see my words were falling on deaf ears. But the drug treatment with Neurocatalon is boosting the effect. There is enough power. We can still rid ourselves of the Integral entirely. But don't you see, Edvard? Your concept is built on a false premise. It won't work without the Integral. You can't replace them. The Doctor's explanation made sense. The Pacifitron could amplify the Integral's absorption field, but it couldn't create an artificial one. Even with the Neurocatalog, the energy drain on the power lattice was too great. At the very least, some integral would always be needed. The thought finally reminded me of my task. Doctor, it's Coordinator Elm. She's dead. Murdered. That's what disturbed all the inmates. I feared as much. Uh, Dr. Edvard... Zoe, our, our safety now depends entirely on Coordinator Ash and the Pacifitron. At the moment, the two are in synchronous balance. But if one should fail, well, 
Aspen base will descend into chaos. Oh, there must be something we can do. Perhaps. We can try to protect Ash from any harm. Dr. Edvard and I can work on the Pacivitron. We might get a little more energy out of the power lattice. The doctor looked at me gravely. It was clear we desperately needed a new contingent of Integral. I agreed to find out if Ash had succeeded in convincing the company to send one. Right. You look exhausted. There is something wrong. Coordinator Elm is no longer engaged. I am maintaining the absorption field alone. Ah, uh, that's why I'm here. It is difficult without the Gestalt. Our different perspectives create balance. There is so much anger to suppress, and I can no longer be sure who it belongs to. I'm sorry, but... Coordinator Elm is dead. I sensed an increase in fear and pain, but was unsure of the source. Thank you for informing me. It is a sad loss. The doctor says you must convince Quercus Rubar that we need more integral. Ash knew that with more staff, she could easily maintain calm across the base. Now with the loss of Elm, their numbers were well below critical, and the company might be more compliant with her request. But she was mistaken. The manager at Quercus Robar flatly refused. He clearly had another agenda. Jamie looked on, impressed, as she escalated her demands through layers of bureaucracy until finally she reached somebody willing to listen. Despite Edvard's many contacts and the power of his influence, not everyone believed in his promises. Ash's calm and considered arguments and the video footage of clients becoming disturbed began to hold sway. When the doctor's opinion, presented as an external consultant's report, was added to the evidence, Quercus Robar eventually understood the risk to their image and the potential costs of another disaster. They reluctantly agreed to send a shuttle with new recruits. Can you keep this field thing going till the others arrive? You seem to have lost all your strength. I have no choice. With the aid of the Pacifitron, I can maintain a weak field, enough to keep us safe for the moment. What else did the Doctor discover? Well, he didn't think the Pacifitron could ever work properly. Edvard didn't agree. Edvard has his own agenda. What do you mean? Greed for profit. Quercus Robar created the original program. They are responsible. They compounded their guilt by cutting the cost of treatment. Edvard is a willing accomplice. What's the difference? The Pacifitron keeps everyone half asleep. That's just what the Integral do. You are still wary of us, Jamie McQuimmon. You think as an alien race, our intentions are still hostile. Uh, You're reading my mind. You've no right to do that. I don't need telepathy to know how you feel, Jamie. The Integral are highly intuitive. Your body language, the tone of your voice, these indicators are enough. Ah, now, it's not my fault most aliens we've met have done us wrong. Past experience shapes present belief, yes. But I sense you might be open to a new experience. 
one which might challenge that. Maybe. Like all machines, the Pacifitron is a pale imitation of what an organic system can achieve. The integral target only anger. The Pacifitron drains all human emotion. Aggression, fear, love, laughter, joy. And you don't. The integral attuned to the human psyche. When the base was fully staffed, life here was very different. We only removed the anger. We left other emotions intact. So you're saying the Pacifitron changed all that? Indeed. As long as the victims are treated, Quercus Robar are not concerned about how. Why would they pay extra to give our clients a reasonable quality of life? Do not make you angry, all this. Do you not want to fight against them and, and all they're up to? It is not in our nature. What about Coordinator Elm and the other dead integral? There's a murderer somewhere picking you off one by one. I feel the loss. But you should feel angry too. That's what it means to be human. We feel anger and we fight back. Anger is to be absorbed. No, it's what keeps people alive. Can you not see I'm right? Perhaps. This insight is intriguing. Thank you, Jamie. It's me, Zoe. You are welcome. My goodness, what's happened to you? She's keeping us safe and doing it all on her own. The doctor wants you to know Edvard's calculations are flawed. The Pacifiton can only work if the Integral maintain the absorption field. We have always insisted that technology was not a solution. But there is little satisfaction in being proved correct. The lost Integral are to be replaced. A shuttle is scheduled to dock in under two hours. But the power supply to the Pacifiton is almost spent. It can't last till then. Well, come on. We must get back to the others. There must be some safety in numbers. We made our way back to the laboratory. The doctor had warned us to keep Coordinator Ash safe and Jamie was determined that no harm would come to her. We negotiated the community room with care, but all the residents were calm for the moment. Ash was weak, but able to walk with support. As we turned a corner, Dr Edvard's assistant, Serox, approached. I have been searching for you. Where have you been all this time? Jamie eyed her suspiciously. He was right. We'd not seen her for a while. Her face was impassive, giving nothing away. Coordinator Ash, do you need assistance? I was struck again by her manner. There was something not quite right. A piece missing. Suddenly there was a flash of sharp metal and she attacked. The Integral must die! called out to Jamie for help and took Ash's full weight as he stepped protectively in front of her, raising his arm to deflect Xerox's impending blow. I must kill the Integral! I must! Xerox spun round, caught her balance and prepared to strike with the knife again. Jamie just stood there waiting. He was struggling. What could be wrong? I called out to him again, but he just looked at me in a daze, as though he didn't know what to do. Xerox raised her arm, the wickedly sharp blade glittering in her hand. Ash, you must release him. 
turn off the absorption field. Let Jamie fight. Ash nodded wearily, and I lowered her to the floor. I have created a local window around us. There is no effect here. Jamie sprang into action, leaping back to avoid a slashing blow. He was too late, and Serox drew blood, cutting him superficially on the brow. He twisted round and snatched at her wrist, gripping tightly to shake the knife from her hand. But she was resolute and strong, rotating the hilt so that the blade pointed directly at Jamie's heart. With no weapon in reach, I had to distract her. I grabbed at her hair and pulled. To my shock, there was no resistance. It came off in my hand. She was wearing a wig. The dome of her head swivelled round to face me, and Jamie used the opportunity to sidestep. Serox lost her balance and went careering into the wall. Get Ash out of here! I must kill the Integral. She was relentless. As Jamie readied himself for the next attack, Serox pulled herself up and turned to face him. There was a large dent in her forehead. Sparks flickered behind her eyes, and acrid smoke gathered in a haze around her. It's a robot. I must kill the Integral. Even damaged, the android fought on. It was staggering now, but it kept a vice-like grip on the knife as it blundered forward in a final attempt to complete its instructions. Jamie slipped behind the advancing machine, and for a moment, Ash was left exposed. The robot's arm jerked up as it struggled forward to land a final blow, just as Jamie swung his arm round its neck and threw himself backwards. The vulnerable articulations between head and torso were subject to the full impact of his weight. The android snapped in two. Just in time, he bowled the sparking head along the corridor. It bounced several times, then exploded harmlessly into a shower of broken circuit boards and burning rubber. Thank you. You will forgive me, I hope, if I reinstate the absorption field. Jamie helped Coordinator Ash to her feet. Immediately shouldering her weight, despite his recent exertion. Jamie, you're hurt. Jamie followed the prickle of pain and touched his forehead, but the cut was minor. I took Ash's other arm, and we started down the corridor towards Edvard's laboratory. So that was how it was done. How very clever to use an android for murder. Just what I thought, Doctor. It was totally unaffected by either the Pacificon or the Integral's absorption field. We were inside Edvard's laboratory. Jamie's makeshift repairs to the door, which was now firmly closed, made us feel safer. But truth be told, they weren't that robust. The remains of our journey had been uneventful. Clients had been a little agitated here and there, but generally quiet. Ash had said nothing more, saving her energy to keep the base under control. 
The Doctor and Edvard were relieved to hear news of the shuttle, but had made little progress with their work. The crystalline structure of the power lattice was rapidly breaking down. Little remained. Despite this, the Doctor was still keen to uncover more about the murders. Well, that's uh, one little mystery solved, I suppose. There's another. Oh, yes, Jamie. Who programmed the robot? Who gave the instructions to kill the Integral, and why? Perhaps mystery is rather an overstatement. Yes. I think Dr. Edvard has some explaining to do. You mean he did it? Of course. Who else could he be? He had the motive, the opportunity, and, as an employee of an advanced technology company, the means. Edvard darted towards the laboratory door, but Jamie stepped forward, blocking his exit. Before anyone could react, Edvard had pulled an energy gun from beneath his coat. He gestured for us to gather in a group around Coordinator Ash and then took a step closer to the Pacifitron, so we were all in his sight. No sudden moves. This is quite lethal, I assure you. There was little we could do. We were trapped. Seconds passed. I was about to try and distract him, but Jamie jumped in first and started asking questions. Why was Edvard doing this? Killing the Integral? What was it all for? For a moment, the scientist looked puzzled, as though the answer was obvious. To prove my Pacifitron works! Quirkus Robar were too cautious, too careful. They refused a proper test. A sustained one without the Integral... If I hadn't removed them myself, there would still be a full contingent of them here. I could hardly believe what I was hearing. To kill so many, just to further his experiments. Yet, like all psychopaths, he still attempted to rationalise his behaviour. The Pacifitron has so much potential. Think what it could do. A placated society, no more arguments... No more political riots. No more war. It offers true peace in our time. Now let me pass. You're crazy. And forgetful. The absorption field is still working. You can't hurt us, Dr. Edvard. Yes, so he's quite right. We're entirely safe. We have Coordinator Ash and the Pacifitron to protect us. You can put the gun down. The doctor smiled amiably and made to step forward, raising his hands as he did so. Suddenly, Edvard turned. Before anyone could stop him, he'd switched off the Pacifitron. We looked at him incredulously. It was then that I knew he'd finally lost his grip on reality. Without the Pacifitron, none of us would survive. Now... If you value your lives, you will let me pass. He waved the energy gun and narrowed his eyes. When the shuttle arrives, a show of strength will be my ticket out of here. Have you taken leave of your senses, man? We'll all be killed. Only Ash could help us now. She was weak and acting alone without the Pacifitron. Perhaps this close, she could still prevent Edvard from pulling the trigger. It was a gamble. Struggling to her feet, she stretched out her arm and stepped forward to take the gun. It was point-blank rage. I held my breath. Distracted by the attack from outside, 
Ash lost her control. Edvard panicked and his aim went wild. The shot hit the coordinator's shoulder. The impact spun Ash round and Jamie caught her as she fell. Are you all right? Before any of us could react, Edvard was back at the Pacifitron. He turned on the power. As the energy built up, the inmates of the treatment centre began to settle, but not entirely this time. The game played on inside their shattered minds. They were still restless, looking for unseen enemies. Ash was injured, and her strength diminished. Edvard looked at us, a superior expression on his face. He flourished the energy weapon and smiled. You will do exactly as I say. The power lattice was exhausted. The cabinet was empty. Without the crystal, the Pacifitron had no energy supply. We need to block the entrance. Edvard finally realised the danger and tried to help. He put down the gun and joined Jamie and the doctor as they tried to manoeuvre the large metal cabinet towards the doorway. But it was too late. The door shattered and the inmates came through. They snatched at Edward, pulling at his arms and legs. His knees buckled. He called out for help. Here, grab my hand. Ah! There was nothing we could do. Edvard was sucked screaming into the maelstrom beyond. A victim of the victims. The seething mass of anger and unrepressed human hatred beyond the doorway just swallowed him whole. The doctor and Jamie gave the cabinet a final heave and pushed the last of the inmates back into the corridor. The entrance was blocked. Ah, that'll hold for a while. The doctor dusted himself down and surveyed the scene. Yes. Well done, Jamie. Is everyone all right? Coordinator Ash, Zoe? Edvard had been a fool and a murderer. Still, he hadn't deserved to die like that. But there was no time to dwell on it. The doctor wanted to know when the shuttle would arrive. Ash thought less than an hour. Oh, we'll never make it. That barricade won't hold. Oh, I don't know. Looks pretty strong to me. Jamie's very good at these sort of things, aren't you, Jamie? On the other hand, it's always good to have a, a backup plan. Now, what we need is an energy source to replace the power lattice. Any ideas? Ash suggested using the battery pack in Edvar's energy weapon, as it used similar technology. At first, the doctor dismissed the idea. The limited charge would be quickly depleted. But we've got to try something, Doctor. I wonder. Ash, can the integral interface directly with machines? If you harnessed your telekinetic powers to interact with an electronic circuit, would it allow you to work symbiotically with the Pacivitron? Oh, Doctor, that's brilliant. The power requirements would plummet. Ash and the Pacivitron could hold the base stable for hours. Time enough for the shuttle to arrive. It has never been tried. There's been no need. We do manipulate air particles to use your telecommunication devices. But is it possible? Can you do it? instead of molecules. A challenge to accurately manipulate matter so delicately. But I must, must try. The doctor leapt to work on the Pacifitron. Following his instructions, I began dismantling Edvard's energy weapon. Outside, the pressure of bodies against the metal cabinet increased. 
Jamie had his back to it and was pushing hard, but the blockade wouldn't hold much longer. The doctor began to search the room. We need a sort of interface, some way of connecting Ash directly into the Pacivitron. With triumph, he found a set of electrodes, normally used for electroencephalographs. He plugged one end into the Pacivitron. Then we worked together on attaching the network of wires to the translucent dome of Ash's head. Splendid. All set. Zoe, turn on the power. All right, coordinator Ash. Now link the absorption field directly into the Pacifitron. Jamie, is it working? Hang on. It's getting worse. Oh, Doctor, what's happening? Ash? Ash? She'd gone into a trance. I could see her brain pulsating violently. Her arms and legs were beginning to twitch. The shouting outside intensified, and it was clear that Jamie couldn't hold our final defence for much longer. It's the unconscious, of course. Jamie, get over here now. Zoe, do what you can do to keep them out. The idea was madness. We looked at each other in disbelief. Then Jamie nodded, and reluctantly we swapped places. Before he knew what was happening, the doctor had placed Jamie's hands on each side of Ash's head. Ash, focus on Jamie. It's your anger that's stirring them up. No! Ash, you must learn from Jamie. Don't suppress your anger. Use it. See how Jamie channels those feelings into positivity. Be brave. Be strong. Get him on eyes to rage and take back control. Oh, oh, my goody heart. Jamie and Coordinator Ash maintained calm across the base for over an hour until the shuttle arrived. The Doctor's modifications had minimised the power requirements of the Pacificron, but he quietly destroyed his handiwork as soon as the Interval arrived. The sort of bioelectronic interface circuitry he'd constructed wouldn't be developed for another century. Well, they'll look happy enough. Is this how it was before the Pacifitron? Surveying the community room, we could see the transformation for ourselves. Before, everyone seemed lost, isolated, imprisoned. Now they were animated and alive. Conversations sparked up spontaneously. There were smiles and laughter. People were doing things better than before. My colleagues have adopted the new learning. Just absorbing anger as we did in the past was not enough. Our clients were free of aggression, but no sign. Now we help them to manage their anger and use it. We have given them the key to unlock their creativity. Now they have the full potential for true happiness. You could hardly tell there was anything wrong. We must thank Jamie for this. He has taught us a better way. Oh, no, there was nothing. False modesty is unnecessary. You've taught us a valuable lesson. Human anger is to be channeled, not suppressed. And I must thank you too, Doctor, for your insight. Me? Ah, well, I had the benefit of knowing a very clever Austrian neurologist in Vienna. We can never escape our own unconscious. The integral are 
Gregish Tart. Working alone is not in our nature. There is strength in working with colleagues. It allows us to examine our own anger and prevent self-sabotage. And the future? What happens next? Edvard's work has been discredited. The crystal that makes up the power lattice is expensive and depleted too rapidly. It is unaffordable. The balance of cost and benefit has shifted in our favor. Our new treatment paradigm is far superior. The doctor clapped his hands with glee. Ah, just goes to show. Machines can never match organic life forms when they work together. How, how wonderful. Well, we couldn't have asked for more, now could we? Come along, Jamie. So it's, uh, it's time to leave. We said goodbye and made our way back to the TARDIS. Jamie was deep in thought. There was something different about him, too. Almost as though he was reluctant to leave. Will it be all right now, Doctor? Ash and the others? I think so, Jamie. The Integral are an enlightened species. They they will learn the lessons here and and pass them on to the rest of their race through the Gestalt. Why? Are you worried about them? No, no, it's just... um, I don't know. They weren't what you expected? Well, no. So I was proved correct. Alien races aren't all the same. I'm not saying you're right, only... Well, they did help us, so perhaps the Integral weren't that bad. You know, after all... Oh, Jamie... I'm David Bartlett, and uh, I'm the writer of The Integral. If this is a hospital, then this must be Morgan's room. But where is he? The doctor started speculating. Perhaps it wasn't a medical hospital. Maybe he was wrong and this was a prison. Or it could be an outpost for some sort of military establishment. It followed on from um, a short trip that uh, that I did called... Um, uh, a room with no view, and um, I was asked then to to write a uh, companion chronicle. Um, I was given a, a sort of remit, which was to do a base under siege, but uh, in reverse. So um, the idea was it was the aliens who uh, owned the base, um, but uh, they were being attacked by the humans. I mean, if you ever talk about the kind of the, the Second Doctor era. I think it's quite lazy to just describe everything as, as a base under siege story. And, and while I can see where that comes from, I mean, there is a whole run of, especially Victoria stories, where it's almost consistently like that. 
um, I think you can play with it a bit and um, literally turn that on its head. And, and, my, and my pitch to, to the writer, David Bartlett, on this was that I wanted a, a siege under base story. One of the challenges was to come up with something different, um, something that hadn't been done before. And um, so I wanted to take the original idea of, uh, you know, the sort of uh, uh, siege under base, reversing it and see what else I could uh, I could reverse or change, and one of one of the things that I I probably felt had been done um, to the limit was the idea of this sort of hierarchical man in charge who was going to um, you know slowly melt down during the the story, and I I just felt that well that that's been done, and we need to do something a bit different. Um, so so I went the. The opposite, and so um, the integral, uh, uh, non-hierarchical uh, race of um, of therapists, really. Um, so I, I I I felt that that was giving it a a different spin. I have brought the strangers to speak with you. You may enter. I am not with the client. Coordinator Ash stood as we entered. The office was spacious and minimally furnished. She was slightly taller than Coordinator Elm, but otherwise identical. They, they told us that Wendy Padden was going to join, and I'd seen her in a, a show called Search for a Star, which was one of the early reality shows where they'd get actresses um, and you have to sing, you have to dance. The following week you had to do a sketch with some famous actors and you get whittled away and whittled away, a bit like the, the jungle. People voted you out, voted you out, and then it was left. And a girl called Judy Johnson won it and Wendy came second but we all thought Wendy was very talented and she should have won and um, so we all knew what Wendy looked like and Patrick and I thought this little elfin girl coming to join us yes Jamie and I rarely argued I teased him a lot it's true but we never really had a row well this time it was different this time his point of view was so extreme, so out of touch with my 21st century cultural norms, that I just couldn't let it go. But do you want me to do yeah, that again? No, no, no. I feel so um, honoured to be here, really, just to, to 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 see him in action and uh, um, and uh, Lisa doing the, the the direction. And I think what's what's so kind of important as a writer is 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 to to see how how well they're 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 kind of um honoring the script um I, I just to hear the the care with which they um they take in 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 order to 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 realize it as effectively as possible it's um it, it's it's brilliant get behind me zoe i'll try to hold it off there was an edge of uncertainty in jamie's voice as though he didn't quite believe in himself anymore. Something was wrong. This wasn't the Jamie I knew, brave and robust, ready to dive into danger to protect us. Perhaps this was a foe he couldn't overcome. I do have, um, you know, sort of clear clear memories of uh, uh, watching the the original stories, particularly those with um, with Fraser in, and um, you know, as a as a young boy, then um, you know, to, to to have a male companion who was. Um, uh, you know somebody that you could really relate to that was he was he you know he was very important to me as a child it feels authentic to me of the period um you know there's a reveal there that 
they'd have done quite happily on TV and, and you know, you'd think, oh, yes, yes, yeah, that's, a, that's a robot, yeah, it's fine. Um, but it kept me guessing. When I was first reading the script, I was thinking, how's he going to resolve this? And then you get the robot and you think, oh, yes, of course. Both the Integral and the Pacifitron are needed. Then you must arrange for more staff, more Integral to replace those you've lost. It's the only sensible thing to do. I think this period works particularly well because of the um, the relationships, and I think that there's a there's a very genuine warmth between the Doctor and Jamie, and that's the sort of glue that holds this whole era together. Um, and I think uh, the you know the the, the female ca- companions join and, and 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 leave, but there's this kind of really strong bond between the Doctor and Jamie, and that just it's them together against the universe. Kind of David and I were talking about this a lot, and, and the, the the Jamie kind of beat on this. Um, I wanted to be that he's getting more used to the fact that there are aliens out there, and I, I kind of wanted to. I think it's quite a difficult thing with Jamie if he's just sitting there and every time there's an alien he views them as bad and, or evil which I mean to be fair is largely his experience but you, if you have the idea that they do more travels than we see then you think he must have experienced situations where you know, the aliens aren't the bad guys and it is quite black and white in, in a bad way I think just point at the, the different and go oh they're bad and I think Jamie's too smart to be thinking like that so my note to, to David on this was, you know, let's have that bit where Jamie thinks, oh, hang on, no, they're not all bad. And um, in fact, there's a beautiful scene in, I think, the second episode where it is just um, Jamie and a coordinator Elm, I think, and where they, they do kind of realise each other. And, and and it's lovely as well because it's not one-sided. I think that, that scene would have been very easy to write with just Jamie learning everything. But actually, it's two-way. The, the two characters learning from each other, which I think is a lovely moment. <laughs> 